All right, folks, uh, this is uh, Mark Berkler. I am thrilled to introduce all of you to a new friend of mine, Carl Lehman, Dr. Carl Lehman, who has written many, many books. I'm just going to show you a couple of his books. One is uh, Outsmarting Yourself, which is a fantastic book. It's only 400 pages long, so it's his thin one. And then if you'd like his thicker one, <laughs> 750 pages long, it's called The Emanuel Approach. And Carl, it's so good to have you with us. Would you at least say hi, please? Whatever else you'd oh, like to say. Yes, I'm glad to be here. And actually, you 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 uh, exaggerated my accomplishments, Mark. I've written two large books, the ones you've held up. I've read. I've written many, many essays. I have thousands of pages of material on my websites. But the two books you've held up are the ones I've written. Now, Dr. Verkler is the one who's who's written many, many books. If if we <laughs> held up all his books, it would be a big pile. But I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. All right. Well, Carl, it's really great to have you. And I want to introduce you to the people who have followed me with particularly maybe the two books that I have written that are most popular. One is The Four Keys to Hearing God's Voice, which is what we want to talk about today is hearing mm -hmm. God's voice from a couple of different perspectives. First, I'll share my perspective, and then I'm going to ask Carl to share his perspective. And then my wife rewrote The Four Keys into a book called Dialogue with God. And these are our, our two bestsellers out of all the books that we've written because it, it answers because because it's what God has asked us to present to the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm going to use some PowerPoint and just share an introduction to the four keys. And we're going to uh, ask Carl to come along and share his insights uh, as it relates to to this topic. So let me see if I can share uh, if I can share my screen and we will bring up. PowerPoint. <clears throat> All right. So here's who, who we have. Here's the website. So our website, uh, uh, CWG Ministries, Communion with God Ministries, will take you to an expanded version of the four keys, which I'm going to introduce in about five to seven minutes. And then Dr. Carl Lehman has a website, uh, emmanuelapproach.com. And uh, his books are listed there along with his essays and uh, along with the entire ministry that he has. So we'll put this up again at the end. So if you don't catch it now, we'll, you'll have a chance to catch it at the end. So um, the basic thing that uh, God has had us share with, with the nation and with the world is four keys to hearing God's voice. It took me forever to learn to hear God's voice, 10 years actually. I got mm -hmm. saved at 15, I was 25 before I could identify God's voice within me. It was a passionate, desperate search uh, that produced a lot of pain in my life because I couldn't I couldn't figure out how to hear his voice uh, and no one could explain it. Finally, um, one morning the Lord woke me up and he took me to Habakkuk 2, 1 and 2. Habakkuk is a man who can hear the voice of God. He did four specific things. He said, I'm going to stand in my guard post. I'm going to keep watch to see what he will speak to me. And the Lord said, record the vision. And so what the Lord showed me is, is there's four simple things that we can do to hear his voice. Habakkuk did them, John did them in the book of Revelation, and a lot of other prophets throughout the Bible did them also. But first, Habakkuk said, I'm going to stand in my guard post. And I think we all pretty much do that. We have a place where we can go quiet ourselves down, our prayer closet, our prayer room, our soaking room. But we, we know that our thoughts are not his thoughts. Uh, and our ways are not his ways, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are our, his thoughts higher than ours. So if I want to hear God's voice, I need to say shh to my own thoughts, my own voice. Mm -hmm. So I need to quiet my own thoughts. And the best way to do that is to use key number two, where Habakkuk said, I'm going to keep watch to see. 
what he's going to speak. And, and I thought, man, if I was writing that sentence, I wouldn't say that. I would say, I'm going to listen to hear what he's going to speak. And I had no idea what Habakkuk was trying to see. And so when the Lord showed me, he said, Mark, you should look provision as you pray. And specifically, you should fix your eyes on Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The author and finisher of our faith. I, 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 mean, I got a picture of something. Uh, Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, 17. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. I never used to pray that prayer. And I never used to look for a vision of Jesus. And I've learned to do both of those. I've learned to do what King David did. He mentions in Acts 2.25, he said, I behold the Lord at my right hand. So, and he's quoting Psalm 16.8, I have set the Lord at my right hand. So he's, he's picturing the Lord at his right hand. I set the Lord there. I mean, I've got to picture somebody at my right hand. And uh, I can picture nobody there, which will scare me spitless. Uh, as I walk through life, because I'm pretty small package compared to all the millions of people and the hundreds that I meet. Or I could picture Jesus next to me, which makes me a fairly large package because I've got God as my companion, as Emmanuel, God with me. Now, one of those two pictures is biblically valid. It's a godly imagination in that it lines up with scripture. The other picture is an ungodly imagination because it doesn't line up with scripture. And whenever I picture Ungodly imaginations, I go backwards. When I picture godly imaginations, I go forward. So I learned to take the eyes of my heart and picture Jesus as Emmanuel, God next to me, put a big smile on my face, relax. Um, key number three for Habakkuk. I'm going to keep watched. Uh, I'm sorry. That's key number three. What a, ah, how come I've got that in there twice? Look at there. Well, key number three is a misstatement there. No. Key number three, what he will speak to me. No, it's not a misstatement. What he will speak to me. So what does God's voice sound like? And we're going to suggest that God's voice just comes as spontaneous flowing thoughts that light up on our mind. Mm-hmm. That was really simple because I was not listening for that. I was listening for an audible, booming bass voice, which I've only heard once in 68 years. But I get spontaneous thoughts every single day. I wake up with spontaneous thoughts. I have them throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can back that idea from scripture. Jesus said, out of my innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke with the spirit. So when I want to tune to the Holy Spirit within me and let him share with me God's words, I tune to flow. I tune to the river within, which is flowing, a river that comes from the throne of God into my heart. And if I release my mind to flow, then those flowing thoughts that come are coming from the river. The analytical, structured, cognitive, lineal thoughts are coming from Mark Berkeley's brain. The flowing negative evil thoughts are coming from evil spirits and demons, and the flowing positive thoughts are coming from the Holy Spirit. So if it's a flowing thought that lines up with the names of Jesus, I accept it as coming from him, especially if my eyes are fixed on Jesus. If it's a flowing thought that lines up with the names of Satan, an accuser, liar, thief, uh, I'm going to attribute that to a a demon, Uh, especially if my eyes weren't fixed on Jesus, because the principle is the flow will come out of the vision being held before your eyes. So, and key number four, you know, what what the Lord's uh, key number four is to record the vision, to write out the flow of thoughts and visions that are flowing within you, which we call two-way journaling. So I got a smile on my face. I'm looking at Jesus in my right hand. I'm saying, Lord, what do you want to say? I tune to flowing thoughts and the flowing thoughts that come I write in simple childlike faith. I don't test them. I don't analyze them. Because the Bible doesn't say come in test and testing mode. The Bible says come in faith. 
those who come in faith receive from God. So I set aside my testing for five minutes or 10 minutes. I write in faith for five or 10 minutes. I get a half a page or a page from God. And then I can go back and test it, you know, and I can make sure that it lines up with scripture. And uh, there's several different ways to test it, actually. After I received that journaling, I would ask uh, in the testing mode, does this line up with scripture? Does it line up with the names of Jesus? Is there peace in my heart? And um, I'm going to share it with my three spiritual advisors, because the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every rhema is confirmed. Rhema is spoken word. So I'm going to read my journey to two or three people or email it out and say, hey, does your heart bear witness this came from God? And if uh, all of these are green lights that are here in this PowerPoint, then I'm going to say, good, I got the voice of God. I can I can say I've heard his voice. I'm his sheep. I heard his voice like he promised my sheep hear my voice. It happened. Miracle just happened. I'm off and running full speed because it's been affirmed and confirmed. This is God speaking to me. Mm-hmm. So then we would say to people, um, do a journaling time. Start out with uh, gratitude, all right, where you say, Lord, um, I love you. I appreciate you. I worship you. Come into his courts with thanksgiving, with praise. So for the first journaling time, we say, why don't you just tell Jesus one of the reasons why you love him a lot? And that's gratitude. And that opens you up internally to be receptive to relationship with the Lord. And of course, if you want to have a good relationship with him, person here in this world, you could also start with gratitude saying, hey, you know, you're really special to me. And that opens you up to a really wonderful relationship for the person you're talking with. And then as for journaling with Jesus, you just tune to flow, fix your eyes on Jesus and just write from flow as in this case, he would share back how much he loves you. If you tell him how much you love him, he'll probably tell you back how much he loves you. So that's two-way journaling that we teach. And um, that's enough for now. Um, We'll put this PowerPoint up at the end again. So if you need to catch either one of our um, websites, you can. But I'm going to stop the sharing now because I'm done. Um, and let's see, whoops. And then I want to turn this over to Carl. Carl, what the, tell us what you would like to share in relationship to this whole theme and what the Lord's been speaking to you on this. Yeah, so this is what's fun. This is... Uh, Part of my background is I have my, my college degrees. I have a major in physics and a major in chemistry and a major in biology and I'm a medical doctor. And then I have four additional years of specialty training in psychiatry. So a lot of kind of science background that's been a passion nature and science has been a passion for me my whole life. And it's always uh, striking and something I particularly enjoy to see where the Bible and science fit together. So I'm always, I'm, you know, with, with all that science background, I kind of have a special eye for principles in the Bible. Like, for example, in the Old Testament, it talks about like the cleanliness, it talks about washing hands. There's, there's food, there's uh, laws that God gives the Israelites and they didn't know the theory of germs. But if you, if you look at a bunch of those, you know, there are, there are a bunch of those laws that actually make good sense medically. You know, I mean, if you, if you go through them, there's a big pile, but as far as infectious disease stuff, um, there's a number of those laws you say, oh, well, that's that's really good. That's a good idea. Uh, and if you understand the microbiology, you can you can participate even more fully because you realize, oh, yeah, boiling the water would be a good idea. You can you can adjust, you can make some adjustments with with what we know from science. But it's amazing to me how many places you'll find something in the Bible, and then you learn the science and you realize, oh, look at that. So when I uh, 
I've just met Mark recently, and it's, it's an interesting adventure where you find that, you know, the world's a big place and the family of believers is a big, a big family. And you can work away for 10, 15, 20 years on something. And then you discover there's somebody else who's been doing something very similar for 20 or 30 or 40 years somewhere else. And you're like, I, I never even, I never knew about Mark Perkler, but I've been reading his stuff, re- you know, looking at his books, reading about it, watching his pod or podcasts, YouTube teachings. Um, and like, oh, I just, I've been amazed at how many similarities there are. It's like, there's a, we're doing a lot of the same stuff. And one of the fun things is Mark and I have talked a little is there'll be something that he'll be teaching like the four keys. He's just the, the two way journaling piece. And I'll say, well, actually, you know, that's good brain science, Mark. He says, Oh, well, tell my, tell my people about that. So we're going to, we're going to have a little season here of explaining how the two way journaling is actually good brain science. So first of all, I'm gonna I'm gonna share a number of data points, and then I'm gonna connect the dots for you. So a couple, uh, one of the data points is uh, what I do mostly is uh, I'm a psychiatrist, I'm a board certified psychiatrist, and I do faith based. Uh, my specialty is faith based treatment for psychological trauma. So I spend a lot of time helping people find traumatic memories and then interact with Jesus to get healing for the old traumatic memories that are causing trouble, causing panic attacks or depression or post-traumatic stress disorder or whatever, all the, all the kinds of trouble that old trauma cause. And something I observe frequently when I'm doing a, a healing session, and so I have, we, we, the person, you know, usually they have the hour, their eyes closed and we're asking God for guidance. Okay, so can you show us where that comes from? You know, Mark has come to me and he has an anxiety disorder and he wants me to help him, you know, figure out where that comes from and to heal it. So we go, okay, Jesus, can you give us guides? You know, where's this come from? And can you help us be a part of your plan? And then as Mark just described, thoughts will come. The person, uh, rarely they'll have a real dramatic, uh, occasionally, but rarely, will they hear an audible voice? Will they, they'll feel something tangible on their shoulder? Like, oh, I can feel Jesus' hands on my shoulders. Or they'll have a really vivid imagery. That happens, but rarely. Much more commonly, those have a subtle image or a subtle thought come into their awareness. And sometimes it just, they catch it. Oh, they can recognize the meaning. They can feel the importance. And they say, oh, yeah, um, we just prayed. Where's this anxiety come from? And it feels like God just kind of brought into my mind that time when a tornado, you know, when, when I was seven years old, we were living in Kansas and we, and a tornado took our house. And I realized, oh, my anxiety problems start. The Lord just showed me, oh my goodness. That's when my anxiety problems started. So that's kind of a, a, the common flow. And if you watch carefully, what you'll notice is, a, you know, whether it's 20% or 40% or whatever, but a significant percentage, subtle thoughts and images will come to the person, but they won't feel that they're important or recognize their meaning without a little extra help. When the person is just sitting there, okay, God, you know, what do you want me to know? Where does my anxiety come, trouble come from? And then they'll sit there and they'll say, oh, I'm not, I'm not really getting anything. And I'll give you a couple of examples. For example, myself. Um, when I was a year and a half old, my mom, she was pregnant. She had mono. She got so sick she couldn't get out of bed. Um, so my brother and I got sent to stay with some friends for a month. And my brother was four. So he understood, you know, hey, I'm lonely. I miss mom and dad. But they could explain, hey, Johnny, you know, mom and dad are fine. Your mom's just sick. She's going to get better. And you're going to see her again in a couple of weeks. Okay. At a year and a half, all I heard, I, where's mom? 
Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, I had a few words and two of them were, where's mom? And all I knew was my mom and dad disappeared. I didn't know if they were ever coming back. And they were gone for a month. And at a year and a half, that's just trauma. I mean, I can, the, the longer story, I can explain why, how that's trauma and where trauma comes from. But I think most people would get, oh, that's going to, that's going to wound. Um, if a guy, if a kid who's a year and a half old, his parents go away for a month, he doesn't understand that's just going to wound his heart. So that probably, get, people probably get that. And I didn't have conscious memory that I was too young. You know, your, your normal conscious autobiographical memory starts about three. So I was a year and a half. I knew about this because my older brother and my parents told me. They explained that, that experience. And I started recognizing there are certain reactions I have. There are certain triggers I have. There are certain negative thoughts I have. Like, oh, my. those I could see the fit. I recognized there are certain persistent patterns in my life and negative thoughts in my life and fearful reactions in my life. I think they're coming from that, that 18-month-old separation. So in my, I have a prayer partner. We get together and trade off doing healing prayer for each other. So when it was my turn, after I, I heard these stories from my mom and dad and my brother, I kind of put some of the pieces together and I thought, oh, oh that, that's got to be important. So I say, Lord, um, I think this is, you know, mom and dad have told me about this experience. I think that memory is still down there emotionally. To me, it looks like there's, I'm looking at these clues I think are coming from there. Can you please help me to, to go with you to that memory and get healing? So I did that. And then I'm kind of waiting. And images come into my mind. I have an image of holding this giant phone to my ear. And I'm watching the cord go up to the wall. And Mark and I are old enough to know that, that once upon a time, phones went into, had a cord into the wall. And the phone's big. And I'm looking up to where it goes into the wall. So I'm tiny. And I'm, I'm, so I'm holding this big phone. And then it's going to have a hallway to the mice. To the side, to my side, I'm, I'm in a room, and I see a sofa across the room, and the thought comes into my mind: I can hear her voice. She must be here somewhere. And I'm looking around the room. I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if she's hiding behind the sofa. So those are the images and the thoughts that come into my mind. And here's the strange part: I didn't recognize what they meant, or feel that they were important. I told my prayer partner, "It's not working. I'm not getting anything." those are the images and thoughts that are going to the average layperson with a high school education. You don't need to be a board certified psychiatrist to think, Hey, I think that means something. I couldn't feel it. And I couldn't see it. I told my prayer partner, I'm not getting anything. Nothing's happening. But he knew about this because actually he had read my chapter about this. So he was like, Hey, Carl, you know, your, your mind's never blank. There's always something there. So just in faith, I want you just to describe whatever is coming into your awareness whether or not it feels important or makes sense. And he had, he had to argue with me a little bit. It's like, no, nah, it's just distractions. It's not working yet. Just, finally, he convinces me, just describe what's happening. So as soon as I got words for the images and the thoughts and started to tell him out loud, within 15 seconds, I, I all of a sudden, oh my goodness, I could feel the emotions and I could recognize, oh my goodness, I'm with the Wessels. I, I'm in the memory. We just asked God to show us. I'm, I'm tiny. I'm holding a big phone. I'm talking to my mother on the phone. I can hear her voice. I'm thinking, you know, I'm a year and a half old. I'm thinking if I can hear her voice, she's got to be here somewhere. 
Maybe she's hiding behind the sofa. And the, the key data point there is when it was just in my own head, before I had gotten language or, or, or shared it with my friend, I didn't, I didn't recognize what it meant or feel that it was important. And I have seen that exact picture thousands of times. And like I said, some of the, sometimes the person, rec- sometimes it's just, the, the brain's pretty complicated and there's variability. So sometimes just kind of the way the pathway normally goes, it goes to the parts of the brain that do this. And the person just normally says, oh, hey, I'm getting this imagery. I think this is the memory from when, I was, when, when the tornado took our house. But a significant portion of the time, you ask God for guidance. He sends thoughts and images, but you don't recognize them or feel that they're important. And another example there, I was you know, one of the hundreds and hundreds of sessions that I've seen this. So I'm, I'm the facilitator. I'm praying with the person, hey, Lord, you know, where do you want to go? What do you want to work on today? And the, the recipient says, you know, pauses and I'm not getting anything. Nothing's coming to me. And I say, well, like my little speech is, your brain's never blank. Your mind's never blank. There's always something there. So just humor me. Uh, no, it's just a distraction. I'm just get Well, just humor me. Describe the distracting thoughts and images. Okay. So I'm just, I'm in a car and I'm just looking out the window. I, oh, we're, we're, it's a, I'm, I'm in the family car. I'm in the car with my family. We're driving down the highway. I'm just looking out the window. Are you satisfied? I'm like, okay, let's pause it just for a moment. So Lord, what's it about? And then it clicks. I mean, after within 30 seconds of her actually starting to describe it, she realizes, oh, that was the trip. Blah, blah. And that was the beginning of a trip in her childhood that ended in, the, in this really important traumatic experience, which was exactly what we were trying to get to. When it was just in her own head, she did not feel that it was important or recognize its meaning. And as soon as she started getting language and describing it to me, it clicked. And she said, oh, 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 I, that's important. And I get what it means. So that, that's kind of a data point, just that clinical observation. And if you watch closely, you'll see that happen a lot. So here's another data point. Um, in, in that big lion book that Mark held up, there's a whole chapter on this, this whole phenomenon of how your brain works best in community, which is that that's actually, I have a whole, there's five or six other ways. I mean, I have a whole lecture on how your brain works best in community. God has designed our brains to work best in community, which is so biblical. I mean, it just, you, Mark could give you a whole sermon on the biblical foundation of how important community is. And I could talk to you for two hours about the brain science. There's just a bunch of ways God has designed our brains to actually work better in community. So this is this is one of them. You'll, you'll watch this thing happen about how, you know, what I just described there. So here's another interesting piece of the brain science that's in that the whole chapter in the Big Line book. There's a case study, a pretty famous case study. It's published by the neurologist who, who documented it. The real short summary, and the Big Lion book describes it in more depth. It's really quite an interesting story. But the short summary is this man had a tumor in the front right, the right side of his brain in the front. And it, so it squashed, there's a, you know, the part of your brain there right on the front, the front of your right side, that part of his brain got damaged. And they were able to take it out and he, and he, he lived. But after the tumor damaged his brain there, here was the fascinating piece. He still, his logic was good. He said his vocabulary was fine. His math, every testable function, his IQ was normal. His memory was good. He could still do math problems. 
But what he couldn't do, he could not feel that something was important. And that's part of how he, the reason he came to this neurologist was he had lost his disability um, income because he looked so normal. He was so smart. He could, you have a conversation with him. You could discuss all kinds of logical things with him. But practically, if he was driving to his daughter's birthday party and he saw a barbershop with a sale at half price, you know, for, for quick, quick trims, he could not feel that it was more important to get to his daughter's birthday party in time than it was to save $2 on a trim. He, that, he, he couldn't, that intuitive, and, and all of us whose brains are intact, we don't, we never appreciate. There's lots of logical reasons. You know, you could analyze, well, could pros and cons of a barbershop and how, saving money. It's right there. It's convenient. You know, and if I added in the time of having to go to the barbershop, I might save a half an hour of my time plus, you know, two and a half dollars or okay, my daughter. I, I, logically, you can discuss all that. But most of us don't don't recognize how often emotions, God gave us emotions as a part of our discernment. And just in a moment, without the big logical discussion, the average customer can just feel, hey, it's important to get to my daughter's birthday party. I can get my hair trimmed some of the time and it'll be inconvenient and I'll have to drive back here, but it's important to get my to my daughter's birthday party. He couldn't feel that. He'd see the barbershop, stop to get his hair cut, show up 45 minutes late for his daughter's birthday party, and then be like, oh, then he would realize, oh, I made a mess. But he that part where, where your emotions are a part of discernment he, he had lost, the, the tumor had squashed the part of your brain that does that. The part of your brain that can help you feel whether a choice or an option or an experience is important. So that, that's another data point that hmm, if you squash this part of your brain, you lose that ability to feel that something's important. Okay. So there's another data point where I'll just kind of summarize. There's a bunch of, lot, lots of research, brain science, that shows the, that, that same part of your brain it's, it's in the middle of interacting with the person. So I'm watching, like, as I'm, I'm talking to you here and I'm seeing Mark's face on the screen, and I can see him nodding. I can, that, that part of my brain is kind of watching his face. I can tell that he's hearing me because his nods correspond to when I make a point. And it, like, I can see if he's smiling or frowning because if, if his face is looking really unhappy, I'll stop and say, hey, you know, do you have a concern? I must, I better repeat that point. I think it must've been confusing. The part of my brain that's interacting with his face, it's that same part of the brain. Okay? Here's another data point. Both the front, of, the front of your brain on the left and right is involved, it's involved in recognizing how something applies to you. Like the, oh, these images are from the memory of when I went to be with the Wetzels. Or, oh, this image, this is the tornado. I'm seeing images. I'm hearing sounds. I'm having emotions. Oh, this is from my story about the tornado. Yeah. The, both, both of on the front of both sides helps you be able to recognize how does a given memory or image, something that comes into your awareness, how does it fit into your story? How does it apply to you? What does it mean? Okay. Now, another piece of brain science, and then I'll put it all together. On the left side in the front, is in the middle of language, in the middle of like, if you're, if, if, for example, theoretically, you are doing two-way journaling, you ask God for guidance, images and thoughts come into your mind. If you're going to try to get language so that you could write that down, 
if you are going to try to, okay, hmm, how would I describe this image that I kind of have a feeling, sort of a thought often comes, um, like I don't hear Jesus's voice talking, but I'll have sort of thoughts and images that will sort of come and I have to kind of get language to sort of describe it. Well, when you're getting that language to do your two-way journaling, it's going to use that part of your brain. So let's think. If you put all that together, what that means is if you do this little thing Mark described, calm yourself, ask God, you know, picture Jesus there, ask God, what do you want me to, what do you want to, what do you want to say to me today, Lord? And then if you get words, and so thoughts and images come to you, as you get words to write it down, that's going to pull the material through the front of your brain on the left. And then a part of it marks processes. And then you also later share the, you read your journaling, which is actually the most important. Um, you can share the email, but as of now, as of right now, Mark will understand a new principle of brain science. And he'll probably next week, he'll start telling people, Hey, the, the most powerful way to do it is if you read it to your friends. So you get language to write it down. It pulls it through this right here. And if you read it to your friends, that pulls it through the front on the right. So as you write down the content and share it with your friends, it pulls it through the parts of your brain that help you feel that it's important and recognize what it means. And so part of what happens with the two-way journaling, when you write it down and then share it with your friends, is that there's subtle material that you would otherwise miss. And like, you know, like we both have said, sometimes it can be dramatic and everybody gets those. But my observation is a, a significant percentage of the time, there's a lot of people, I'm one of them, where my experience tends to be subtle. And if I just say, okay, God, what do you want me to know? About half the time, it feels like nothing happens. But if I do the, if I do the two-way journaling, or if what I do more often is I have a prayer partner, and we kind of you do the same kind of thing, which is out loud. So I say, okay, Jesus, what do you want me to know? And then my prayer partner says, okay, and just describe right now whatever comes into your awareness. So it'd be kind of the same, uh, almost all the same stuff Mark describes, except for instead of writing it in a journal, you just describe it out loud to your prayer partner. And what I experience happening to me consistently is I'll do it and I'll feel like not much is happening. But as I get language and share it with my prayer partner, the light bulb goes on. And there'll be subtle content. There'll be a subtle manifestation of Jesus' presence. There'll be subtle content from the Lord that I'll recognize and feel when I add those pieces. So it makes a difference about, you know, 30 or 40% of the time, maybe 50% of the time, when before I would think it wasn't working, I add this piece and I say, oh, it is working. It's just quiet. So here's a couple interesting thoughts. In Mark's teaching, if I'm remembering correctly, Mark, you talk about how the journaling helps prevent doubt from getting in the way. I, I think I, I heard that. Right. I heard that or read that somewhere in your teaching. Correct. Yep. One of your thoughts is, "Oh, I think the journaling helps because if you just say, oh, Jesus, what do you want me to know?' And a little a subtle thought comes or image comes, and you there's all this noise. Mm, I don't know if that's really Jesus. Maybe I'm just making that up. And it's real easy to quickly stumble over. You kind of get tangled up in the in that doubt." Is this really working? Is this really Jesus? How do I know this is really from God? And it's really easy to have the whole process bogged down because you keep you get that doubt within seconds. 
and Mark teaches. Oh, do you do? I, should I call you Dr. Verkler or Dr. Mark or Mark? No, or, just call me Mark, please. <laughs> so, so what Mark teaches is, um, if you say, "I'm just going to for 15 minutes, I'm going to do this little prayer, and then I'm just going to discipline myself. I'm just going to write whatever comes to me, and I'll worry about whether or not it's true later." And that helps you kind of get around that stumbling block of getting so tangled in, is this really from God that you can't really even hear? Which that, that's a, and I think that's accurate. That's a good principle. But a piece of brain science that part of why he asked me to be right here today sharing this with you, another part of what's happening there, not just it helps you get around that doubt piece, but it actually helps you hear better and see better. When you do the journaling and then share it with your prayer partners, that actually increases your brain's ability. It, that pulls the content to the part of your brain that helps you feel that it's important and recognize its meaning. So not only does that just that, that little discipline, hey, I'm going to write for 15 minutes and then I'll test it later, helps you, helps you just like, okay, I'll, I'm not going to worry about whether this is from God or not. Clever, that's a kind of clever little move there. And it increases your ability to actually feel that it's from God and recognize its meaning and understand that it's from God. So I, I'm convinced that part of the brain science there, not only does it just help you dodge that, that, that doubt stumbling block, but it also makes it easier to feel that it's important and understand its meaning. Which, I, yeah, when, when I read Mark's stuff, I heard his explanations, and I thought, oh, I'm sure there's a piece of brain science here. So does that all make sense, Dr. Mark? Yeah, that does make sense to me. And, and it reminds me of the fact that whenever I do seminars, after people do their two-way journaling, <clears throat> we always have them break into groups of two and read their journaling to the, one other person and ask the other person to affirm them in faith, unless they feel it's not from God. And so people do affirm them in faith. And then we ask um, three, four, five people to come to the front and read their journey to the whole group. And normally as they do that, I mean, every single weekend when we do that, there are tears running down their faces as they're reading their journaling to us because God is touching their hearts so deeply. So to me, that would be an indication of what you're saying, that when you share your journaling with somebody else, it deepens the emotional impact and the reality of the whole thing and touches you very, very deeply. Am I reading it right? Yes. In fact, I'll, I would even I'll predict this and you can test it because I do a similar thing where when I do training, people break up into groups and, and practice with each other. And what I observe is there's like one step of the exercise where they're, they're, the, person is, um, the person is just doing the exercise in their own head. And then, the, and then there's a step where then they share it. So you, you, like you have a little cluster of three. Mm-hmm. And first, you know, okay, everybody think of a positive memory. Okay, and now share it with each other. Ask Jesus, what do you want me to know today? Now share it with each other. And when I consistently, I'll watch, and especially since I'm watching for the brain science. And the first part, they're each just doing it themselves. You can see a little smile. Um, you can see you know, the emotions, the intensity will be a one or a two. And as they're sharing it with their little group, you can see consistently the emotional intensity goes up. Mm-hmm. They'll go from a little smile, a little like one or two, and then they start describing it and they'll start t- tear the tears. I see the exact same thing when they just do the exercise with themselves they'll have kind of a a quiet experience. When they come up and read it, they have three times as much emotion. Tears are running down their cheeks. And um, I'm convinced I see that happen all the time. It's consistent. And if you watch for it, you're like, oh, sure enough, when they do it by themselves, 
they have a small, a, a quiet experience. And if they read it, if they read it out loud or share it with their prayer group, um, their emotional intensity will most of the time immediately go up two notches. Just that's how your brain's built. Okay. So what you're suggesting to me, rather than having people email their journaling to their spiritual advisors for confirmation, it'd be better to do a zoom session than actually re say it out loud. Yeah. And it's, it's all, Short answer is yes. Okay. And the long answer is, you know, so many of these things, it's there's a um, few things in the world are like yes or no. You don't have <laughs> you don't have short people and tall people. You have a bell curve where there's, you know, real short people, there's average people, there's I mean, there's real short people, short people, average people, tall people, really tall people, and we all know that. So with the way your brain works, like just doing the journaling all by yourself. Just the fact that you get language for it and write it down, that helps some. <laughs> Any kind of sharing it with another person. Because even subtly, your right hemisphere kind of knows that you're interacting with another living human being. So any interaction where you're sharing with another person helps some. But actually, like if I was sharing, if I was reading my journaling to you and I see your face and I can kind of, even when I'm sort of reading it out of my peripheral vision, I can see you nod, I can see you smile that's going to be more powerful. So just writing it down helps sharing it in any way helps more and reading it out loud to somebody you see their face is the most powerful. And then a piece I'll add is uh, if you actually meet with your prayer partner and do the kind of the journaling live, like that's what happens when I do a healing session and I'm right there with the person. And as it's happening, you know, each, each minute I'll say, okay, give me a little update. What's whatever's going on in there. Give me a little update. Oh, I'm not getting anything. It's just distraction. Okay. Well, just for kicks, describe the distraction for me. And I'm, I kid you not. I, I, what the, what the numbers would be, they'd be huge. I mean, but this happens to me every single week where I do this little coaching thing. And so there again, just writing it down journaling helps some. Sharing it in any way, email, helps more. If you actually read it to the person a day later or a few hours later or three days later, that helps even more. And the most powerful thing is if you actually get together with your prayer partner and you do essentially exactly what Dr. Mark describes for his, for his two-way journaling, but you do it out loud with the person. And neurologically, that's the most powerful. Mm-hmm. Now, it also is... 10 times more difficult logistically. So like when people ask me about this, you know, well, should we just do that? Well, that, that's hard. It's easy to the two-way journaling that Dr. Mark describes. You can do that every morning for 15 minutes. I mean, that's something you can, you can incorporate into your personal devotional time easily. To get together with your prayer partner every day, first thing in the morning, that would be a whole lot more difficult. So I said, hey, the kind of journaling that Mark talks about, do the, you know, incorporate that into your life regularly, you know, whether it's every day or every other day or a few times a week. I mean, somewhere in your regular personal devotional life, that two-way journaling thing, easy, simple, logistically, to have that be a regular part of your, of your personal devotional life. And what I encourage people to do is, you know, whether it's once a month or once a week or a couple times a month, you know, or like my wife and I, we have close friends that once or twice a year, we get together with another couple and we spend a weekend 
doing this kind of prayer with each other. And we take turns and we you know, pray and, listen, pray and listen and then share with each other. And it's a powerful, even if it's a couple times a year, it's a highlight of our year. And the Lord's, you can sense the Lord's presence and interact, the, the interactive, the living interactive connection with the Lord is just another notch more powerful and tangible when you do that with another person. So I'm like, hey, do Dr. Mark's thing three times a week every day. And then as you're able, every other week, once a month, a few times a year, if you do that in-person piece, that's just kind of a bonus luxury. That's kind of the Cadillac version. As far as the brain science goes, that's like a few times a year, you go out to a nice restaurant and have a really special evening. You don't do that every night. But you can feel that's really special. So I encourage people, include this piece as well into your life in a regular way because it's just particularly powerful and poignant and intense and effective and meaningful. And my, my prediction is anybody who does that, they'll be able to feel, Oh yeah. I mean, I like having Mark's healthy food every morning to a journaling. And I really like to go out to dinner once in a while and have that deep dish Chicago pizza that Dr. Carl talks about. And it's not either, or it's like, Hey, I think you should include both of those. Oh, well, that sounds great. I love it. I think it's a tremendous balance. It, it gives us all a couple of different ways to approach this. And I think we'll all benefit by trying it both ways, doing it both ways, seeing where it takes us. So I really appreciate you sharing that, uh, Carl. And uh, do you want to be called Dr. Carl? Um, Dr. Carl, the, the, the only reason, the, so here's my brain science piece. Okay. <laughs> I, I go by Dr. Carl because even unconsciously, I mean, logically, you can tell yourself, whatever you want to tell yourself, but there's things that happen emotionally that are involuntary. And especially for people I don't know that don't know me well yet. If I just a gentle little reminder, Hey folks, I spent 25 years in school. You know, I really, I really do have three majors in science. I spent four years in medical school and four years in residency. And I've got 30 years of experience as a doctor. And I do a hundred hours of continuing education every year. And what happens emotionally is they'll, they'll hear what I have to say with a little more weight. Mm -hmm. If they just recognize, yeah, that's, that's coming from a lot of careful thought and study. Mm -hmm. So my guess is that going by Dr. Carl, especially for new folks, just helps a little bit for them to remember he didn't just read this in the newspaper. And he's kind of telling me about an article that he thinks maybe is true. He spent several thousand hours rummaging through all those research studies and case studies and brain, brain science, and he's been observing patients in his practice for 30 years. I think maybe it, it will affect how, how open their brain is to really hear what I'm having to say and how seriously they'll consider it. So that's, you know, I, mostly I don't really care if you call me Carl or Dr. Carl or Dr. Lehman, but I, the applied brain science I, I kind of say, hey, call me Dr. Carl. I think that'll help. So if that makes sense to you, great. If, if, if you would rather call me Carl, that won't offend me in any way whatsoever. <laughs> well, um, that makes a, a lot of sense to me. And I'm very, very glad to call you Dr. Carl. And I totally understand and totally agree with that. And, and I do want to put the screenshot of the websites up one more time. So people, if they would like to go to your website, uh, EmmanuelApproach.com. By all means, go there. You will find a ton, a ton, a ton of information. 
and you will learn a lot more about Dr. Carl and see the different resources he has available. So I highly encourage everyone to do that. Uh, Dr. Carl, is there anything you would like to say before we close today? <clears throat> Mark, I'm, I'm enjoying, as I already mentioned, looking at your material and how many places I realize, oh, oh, I do something so similar. And there's other times I'll say, oh, I'm pretty sure I understand the brain. So there'll be something you'll teach or something you'll do. And I'll think that's exactly the way the brain's built. And I think, oh, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to talking to Mark and explaining that to him. I'll bet it will bless him to realize this thing he's been teaching for 30 years. That's exactly what the brain's built. So I, I've been really enjoying our new friendship, Mark. Well, I have too, Dr. Carl. And um, <clears throat> this is just the beginning. We are actually going, we are already planned to do another session on inner healing uh, where Dr. Carl will share his insights on that. I'll share the foundation of what I've been doing and he'll do what he did today, share any brain science or additional insights on that. So, so look for that because that'll be coming up shortly. And I uh, think it sounds to me like we're good for now. And if so, I am very glad to say thank you and thank to say goodbye. And we will meet everyone again in the near future. <clears throat> Thanks for having me, Mark. All right, Dr. Carl. God bless. Okay. Bye-bye. <clears throat>